Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. We've all got a different boat to build. All of us have a different dream, a different vision, a different aspiration that God may have called us to do. It is something that energizes us, but scares us. It's something exciting, but it's also easy to dismiss because it's hard to do. It's risky. And so when it comes time for you to build your boat and God's asking you to do things that this world's going to mock, nobody's going to understand, and you may not even understand, are you going to have the courage to build a boat? Four Four blueprints on God's voice this morning. I'm going to keep it simple for you. It's an acronym. It spells the word boat. Four blueprints on God's voice. Number one, God's voice will be bold. God speaks boldly. And it won't always be the loudest voice. We covered that last week. It'll be the still small voice. But even in that still small voice, it's bold. Think about when God's voice came to Abraham about Isaac. In Genesis 22, we're just going to read it quickly. And Genesis 22, talk about a bold voice. After these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. It's a bold ask, especially after waiting a hundred years for this son. This is the promised one. And Abraham had taken matters into his own hand. He had gone the logical reasonable way and he had gotten a son from his maidservant and God said no 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 that's not the way that's not the way I'm going to give you your son Abraham and then there's also going to come a time Abraham where I'm going to ask you to sacrifice and surrender him back to me and God's not a baby killer God provided the ram in the thicket but this was a test of faith for Abraham are you going to do what I asked you to do My voice is bold. It's not going to make logical sense. Why would God wait a hundred years to give me my boy and then ask me to give him back in an act of surrender? Does that make human sense? No. Is there a way to explain that logically? Nope. Must be God's voice. God's voice is bold. If you won't be able to make sense of it or reason it your way, might be God's voice. If you won't be able to explain it because you don't have all the answers, might be God's voice. How about God's voice to Joshua as he approached Jericho? Really quickly, Joshua 6, 5, it says this. This is God talking to Joshua, giving him the battle plans. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, and all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up. Everyone straight before him. I don't know about you, but that is the most common sense, logical, well thought out battle plan I've ever heard. Nope. Can you imagine Joshua, the great general, right, of the Old Testament? Can you imagine that that Mel Gibson Braveheart moment? He's he's riding his horse in front of all the troops. He's like, all right, guys, I got the battle plan. Everybody muster up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around and sing a song. And 
the walls are going to fall down. You just got to trust me on this one. All right, everybody line up behind me, and they circle, and they circle, and they circle. It doesn't make logical, rational sense. Must be God's voice. That's how he speaks. What do you do when what you see doesn't match what God says? The fact of the matter is there's Jericho walls in your life. The fact of the matter is there might be a thing you've waited on, and God finally answered that prayer, the job, the spouse, and then God's asking you to surrender it to him. What do you do when what you see physically doesn't match what God says? Are you going to trust the illogical, irrational voice of God, or are you going to try to reason it, dismiss it, and, and put it in human terms? Because this one is scary. Again, th there's a reason why we get stuck on this question is because we don't like the answer sometimes. Number two, not only is God's voice going to be bold, number two, God's voice will be opposed. It's an easy way to tell that it's God's voice. There will be opposition to it. And sometimes that loud, boisterous, noisy opposition is in your own head, your own mind. It's the mental hurdles you're having to go through to say, man, this doesn't make any sense. Can I do this? Can I not do this? How is this going to work out? Think about David facing Goliath. We're not going to read this verse for time's sake, but do you know by the time that David got to the giant Goliath, he had already had to fight several along the way? When, when David shows up at the battlefield, he had already had to shut down the noise from his father. He had already shown up at the battlefield and had to shut down the noise of his brothers, the opposition of his older brothers that thought he was too small and too weak to be at the battlefield. And then finally he gets to King Saul. He has to shut down the opposition of King Saul who wanted to equip him with the armor and the sword and the chainmail. And then he gets to the giant Goliath. So many different voices of opposition along the way. But when David got to Goliath, he said something like this. You're going to know that God's going to win this battle because I'm about to knock you down with the sling and a stone. Then I'm going to cut your head off and feed it to the birds. In fact, I'm going to kill all y'all. And the birds of the air are going to feast on your carcass. Then you'll know that God is the Lord. David had great faith to trust in the opposed voice of God. It's an easy way to tell God's voice. Not only do others oppose it, again, sometimes we oppose it. Think about Moses at the burning bush, Exodus 3.10. We'll read this one quickly. In Exodus 3, verse 10, God's speaking to Moses out of a bush that's on fire. So that's already weird enough. Again, not logical, not rational. There are a million ways to get somebody's attention. For Moses, it was a bush on fire. He said, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. By the way, this was several million people by now. But look at what Moses does. He does what we do all the time. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, I can't. I'm unqualified. I'm under-resourced. I don't have what it takes. 
Is your voice the loudest voice of opposition to God's? Are you having to play mental gymnastics to, to somehow dismiss or, or quiet that, that crazy voice? The thing about it is, is reason why we get stuck in our head and we get stuck with this question is because a lot of times we don't think we're qualified to do the thing that God's put on our hearts. We don't think we're, we've got what it takes. We don't think we're well-resourced. And that's the thing about God's voice is if you're feeling like that today about that vision, that dream, that aspiration, God's saying, good, I've got you just where I want you. If you're feeling underqualified or under-resourced, perfect, that's my voice. Because I want to get the glory. I want this to be a story. I want this to be a testimony that you can share someday about how there is no way that you could have accomplished this but God. Because if, if we could accomplish it, if, if we're um, some great business person and we just accomplish everything on our own, then when it comes down to sharing our story, it's going to be like, well, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Frankly, I just pretty organized and pretty with it and smart and God's given me a lot of talent and did pretty well with it. But that's not the story God wants to tell. He wants to show you off to the world so that the world can say, wait, how did she do that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you mean who? Who accomplished that? Who did that? Right, because God's voice will face opposition. Number three, God's voice will be action. It'll be bold. It'll be opposed. It'll be a voice of action. Think about God's voice to Abraham about moving in Genesis 12, verse 1. I'm trying to give you a lot of verses and a lot of ammunition to show you this isn't just an isolated event that God speaks crazy. This happens over and over and over and over again, all over scripture, that God's voice is the illogical, irrational voice. It's a way to distinguish it among our own voices. It's a voice of action. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I'll show you. So... I don't get a direction, God. Nope, just get up and go. I don't get to tell my, my people goodbye. Nope, just get up and go. God, can you share with me like um, what you're trying to do or, or maybe what the end result of this might be? Nope, just get up and go. God's voice is a voice of action. It's going to call you to do something. And this is what I found out after studying God's voice throughout Scripture. Rarely does he call you or speak to you and ask you to think about something. God's voice asks you to do something or be something. Rarely does God speak just to be heard. He wants you to listen, but he wants you to listen in order that you would respond appropriately. Let me show this to you. In Deuteronomy 6.4, we're not going to go there, but this is called the Hebrew Shema. It was a prayer, it was a blessing, it was a common prayer. Even now to this day, a lot of Jewish people will will recite the Shema at different of their celebrations, and many of them want this prayer read over them in their last moments. 
is kind of the final prayer. And you know it if we read it this morning, Deuteronomy 6, 4. It's the one that talks about instructing your children on the way, when you get up, when you rise, when you eat, as you go along the way, as you go to bed. Uh, keep these things all in your heart. And that, that phrase, keep these things all in your heart, that is the Hebrew word Shema. And a lot of religious Jewish people want that to be on their lips as they pass from this earth. But there's really no great translation for that word because in the Hebrew, it might be tra it's translated in my ESV version as put it upon your heart. But the best way to translate it into English is the word obey. But in Hebrew, there is no word for obey. Because to hear God's voice was to obey. That's why we read all these crazy stories in Genesis. And, and we see Noah just got up and built a boat. And then we see Abraham in chapter 12. He just got up and moved. And then we see in, in chapter 22 when God's asking for his son Isaac Abraham just loads up the donkey and heads on up the mountain. How is it that Moses stands at the Red Sea and just does what God asks him to do? Is because in Hebrew, the word Shema meant to listen and respond appropriately. There was, no, there's, there was no distinguishing between hearing the word Shema and then obeying. It was one concept. If you heard God, you did it. And man, what if we got a hold of that in our hearts? What would happen if we adopted that flavor of the original languages in our walk that we would hear and obey, that we would have the opportunity like a Noah to have to be spoken to by God and have the chance to respond in faith and build a boat. See, sometimes I get in my own head with that logic and that reasoning and that common sense. And I'm like, man, it just seems like it's just a bunch of rules. It seems like I'm just obeying for the sake of obeying. And I feel like sometimes I feel duped. I feel tricked because you got the Old Testament law and there's 600 some odd laws in the Old Testament. And we're like, man, whew, got out of that one. Good thing I'm not in the Old Testament sacrificial days where I had to keep all those laws and, and watch what I ate and have all the strict dietary laws. And, and we're so happy to be over here in the New Testament, the age of grace. But then we realize that the grace is really just only a heightened version of the law. And now if you just think the thought, you're guilty. And now everything that's evaluated is the motives and, and, and what's in your heart. And it's like, man, I got duped. I got tricked into this thing. I thought I was lucky not to live under the law, but now it's like the thoughts of my head are judged. And if we get into that mess in our own head of thinking it's just about the rules and the laws and obeying for the sake of obeying and do this, don't do that, walk the straight and narrow, we miss out on the whole relational piece that God Almighty is speaking to us which that ought to blow our minds in and of itself. The fact that the God of all creation chooses to speak to us and that we have the chance to respond to that voice in faith. That we are called out, that we are chosen as believers, as followers of Jesus. We have the unique privilege to do what no one else can do and that is hear God's voice and respond in faith. So it's not just obeying to obey. It's not just a list of rules and do's and don'ts. It's the chance to hear from God and do something special when he's called us to do it. That's God's voice of action. What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? It's a question I used to hear all the time at a previous church and it bears repeating. 
because we know God won't fail. Amen. I've never done something for the Lord that's crazy and ridiculous and lived to regret it. I've never wished that I hadn't taken him at his word. So what would we do for God? What would you do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? God's voice is going to be bold. God's voice is going to be opposed. God's voice is going to be action. And last but not least, God's voice is going to be timely. B-O-A-T. We're learning to build a boat. We're learning the blueprints to build a boat when God calls us to. And you better believe God's voice is going to be timely, right on time. Back to our original text in Genesis 6. When Noah is called to build this ark, he was how old? 600, he already had grandkids. Can you imagine already having grandkids when you finally get to the point where God wants to make something of your life? And then on the other end of the spectrum, if you can't identify with that, like me, I'm young and my prime, whatever, I just, whatever, that's just crazy talk to me. So if you're on the other end of the spectrum, think about David, who was just a mere teenager when God called him to slay a giant. So really, there's no spectrum of age here. Really, when it comes down to physical human terms, there's nothing that God can't do. Your time is when he says your time is. Your prime is when he says your prime is. And we don't understand it now. That's the thing. That's why it takes faith and trust to believe him. Because we're not going to understand oftentimes until the moment's gone and the faith has worked its way and the obedience has done its thing. And we understand the, the the tapestry, the, the, the picture that God's creating. We won't get it now. We won't understand it, but we got to trust. There's a reason to why he speaks when he speaks. That there's a bigger picture going on. God had a reason for redeeming Noah and his family safely on that ark. Because it was time to flood the earth. And there's a reason why Noah was 600. There's a reason why God waited until Moses was almost 80 years old before he called him to redeem the people out of Egypt. There's a reason why God called Samuel just a little boy to take the mantle of prophet and start anointing kings. We don't get it. The fact of the matter is we don't have to. We don't need to. We don't need to understand. We don't need to be able to explain it. We don't need to be able to reason it. God's voice is going to be timely. Think about Moses at the Red Sea. We'll read this one quickly. I referenced it earlier, but right there in Exodus 14, 16, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through on the red, on the sea, on dry ground. Talk about timely. God's voice was timely because you got to believe that Moses was saying, really, God? I was trying to score points with the father-in-law by keeping his sheep so I could get the girl. And you're going to show up in a burning bush and totally redirect my life at the age of 80? I'm still trying to get married at 80. And you're putting a whole different trajectory on my life? And now I go and I obey your voice and I got millions of people following me and now I'm up against a Red Sea and there's a, the armies of Egypt behind me breathing down my neck. Really, God, you brought me this far just to wipe us out? God's voice is timely. He didn't leave Moses. 
He said, dude, lift up your staff. I'm going to split this thing wide open. You're going to walk across on dry land. And then once the armies of Egypt follow you in, I'm going to cause the sea to go back to normal and drown every single one of them. God's voice is timely. Now, if Moses has had his way, I don't think we'd be reading that story in the Bible. If Joshua was responsible for the battle plans, we wouldn't have the Jericho walls falling flat in the Bible. If Abraham had had his way, we wouldn't have the beautiful story of how God brought him out under the stars and said, this is your inheritance. These are to be your nations. If Noah hadn't believed God, we wouldn't have the story about the rainbow in the clouds and how God multiplied the earth once again and redeemed it. Now, if you're at this point in the sermon, just like me, you're like, well, fine, great. I understand all that. However, they didn't have the Bible back then. So God had to speak that way. You don't understand. He had to get people's attention because there was no written word. So of course he would speak in bold, opposed, actionable, timely ways. But things have changed, see. We have the written word of God, so he's able to tone it down some. And he speaks to us as a loving father and everything's fine. And, and see, we're different now because we've got the word. We've got the fellowship of the saints. And in my mind, at this point in the sermon, I'd be asking that question. Because hasn't God, God's voice changed? Does he really call us to do crazy things like that anymore? Surely not. Is he really wanting to do huge signs and miracles and wonders like he did back then? Think, I mean, things, things have surely changed a little bit, right? I mean, does, does, does the New Testament back up this too? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 7, you decide if the voice of Jesus sounds the same that we read in the Old Testament. Matthew 7, here's how my kingdom works, Jesus says. It's the narrow road, few will find it, the last will be first, and many who think they're getting in won't. Matthew 16, hey, Peter, you're a pebble, and on you, I'm going to build my church. Matthew 18, I'll rejoice more over one sinner who repents than 99 churchy people. Luke 14, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, and your kids, even yourself, you cannot be my disciple. Luke 10, hey guys, I'm going to send you out as missionaries, these 70 of you. I'm going to pair you up. Oh, by the way, you can't take anything with you. No provision, no food, no money. Actually, no shoes. Take off your sandals. You're going barefoot. See you in a few days. How about Luke 10? Mark 10, excuse me. Hey, you want status with me? You want to be great in the kingdom? You want to argue over which side of my throne you're sitting on? Serve your brother. Wash feet. That's how you're going to get status in my eyes. Acts 1a. I love this one. Hey, everyone, I'm leaving. I'm going to send you my spirit. It's a different version of me, but you'll get used to it. And once you have the spirit, I think that your job is going to be, well, just evangelize the whole world. Start here and just do the whole thing. Bye. And then Acts 9.15, I love this one. Ananias, you know that prayer thing that you do when you put hands on people, it, it heals them? Yeah, that gift. I want you to take that gift. And you know that Christian headhunter, that bounty killer, Paul, Saul? 
why don't you go to him? I've got a great idea. Anoint his eyes. I'm going to use that Christian bounty hunter to bring the gospel to the nations of the world, the Gentiles. Sounds like a plan, right? So this is not just an Old Testament voice. This is not just an Old Testament God. This is a New Testament church age God that still wants to work wonders among his people. And my good friend Rick Warren says, you get to determine how big God works wonders in your life by exhibiting how much you're going to trust him. How much are you going to believe God? Did you know you get the choice of what God does through you? If it's big or it's little is exhibited by how much trust you have in him. You want to see walls of Jericho come down? Then be like Joshua and do something crazy that everybody will laugh at. You want to be used by God to do something nobody's ever done before by building a boat and, and, and redeeming humanity from a worldwide flood? Then you've got to risk it. Build a boat. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be rejected. You, people are going to call you crazy, but I'm going to use you in a way that will be recorded down for history to read about. The thing about it is, is you're ready to build a boat. You've got the blueprints. You know God's voice is going to be bold. It's going to be opposed. It's going to be actionable and it's going to be timely. You've got the faith that you need now. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but almost every single one of you have placed your eternal life in the hands of God to take, take you to a place you've never seen. You've trusted him with your eternal future about a heaven that that's, has gold streets, pearly gates, mansions, and a tree that changes fruit every month. Come on. Don't tell me you don't have the faith to do something crazy for God. You've already done it. He's taken you somewhere you've never seen, and you've put your whole life in his hands. So you've got the faith. Are you going to use it here and now too? Are you just counting on eternity to blow your mind, or do you want the abundant life now? You want your mind to be blown now by how God uses you because that abundant life doesn't start there. It can start now. How much are you going to believe him for? So your action is you've got the blueprints for the boat, but there's a different acronym that spells boat. That's your job now because sometimes we get stuck and we know the right thing to do. We know we can hear God's voice, but we get paralyzed in the middle. So what do you have to do? Be like Noah, be like Abraham, be like Moses, believe God's promise, then obey him. Anchor down because you're going to be opposed and then trust him for the results. That's your action items, which also spell boat. Believe God's promise, obey him, anchor down, trust him for the results. God's got you. If there's nothing else I can encourage you with this morning, know from my own personal life. There was a point where I've shared it many times, but I was so sexually confused and so warped up in the mind and questioning God's plan. And there came a time where I had to make a choice to believe God and, and trust him to get married to my wife and stand in front of a church wa watching her walk down the aisle, not knowing if I had what it took to be a husband. And I just had to believe that God's plan would work out. That took a lot of faith for me. Maybe not in your situation, but I bet you got something like it where you had to exhibit a lot of faith that God, I don't know, but here we go. It was only a month later 
God didn't give me much of a break. He's probably like, well, now that I got his ear, I better do all my things at once because God knows if he gets any time in between, he's going to be checked out. So only a month later, I was sitting in a college service where God spoke to me and said, I'm calling you to plant a church. But God, I'm not qualified. That's okay. Good. God, I'm, I don't have any resources. I've, I've already, I've messed up too badly for me to use. I'm not, I don't need, I barely even have a church family myself. And God says, good, I'll take care of all the things. Start where you are. And folks, I could spend the rest of your afternoon and take you from all your turkey leftovers, giving you stories about how a faithful God is still in the wonder working miracle business. Are you going to believe him? Are you going to hop on board with that? Believe his promise, obey him, anchor down, trust him for the results. There are still things to do. I just took you through a bunch of New Testament passages that proved to us this was not just an Old Testament God. He is not done working. He still wants to do big things, but there's a reason we don't hear about him or see him or experience him. Because we get cozy and comfortable and we're dismissive of the God, of the voice of God. We get apathetic and we try to use human reasoning and we try to use human logic and we try to use human common sense and plaster it all over the crazy, radical, illogical, irrational voice of God that's saying, go build a boat in the desert and let's see what happens. I want to end with Isaiah 55. If there's no verse, no story you take out of here, take this one. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. So stop trying. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. And thank God for that, because we would have all screwed this thing up. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, to the degree, to the proportion that heaven is way higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And his voice than our voice. So learn to listen to him, but don't just listen to hear, listen to respond. And maybe, just maybe, you'll be called to build a boat and we'll be reading about it one day. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to take this minute and revisit that dream, that vision, that aspiration that's gone cold, it's gone dormant. Those flames used to burn in your heart of what you could do for God. And maybe you thought you could be a pretty cool missionary or you could serve the church in this way. You could offer up your talents to the Lord this way, or maybe you could go do this thing and start a youth ministry over here or do something for uh, divorced single moms over here or maybe you could, you're called to children over here and you could do this cool thing or maybe you, you're musical and you have abilities there. What, whatever that dream, that vision, that aspiration that's on your heart that energizes you and scares you at the same time. Whatever that crazy thing is that you get, just got this wild hair idea. I wonder if I just risked it all and did this. What would happen? And I propose to you that God's behind that. He's not done. He just needs willing vessels to believe him for more. And men, I'm talking to you. 
What in the world would happen if we actually started leading our families like we believed God's actually still working and moving and doing miracles? What would happen if the men in our church, in our community woke up? What if we'd stopped coming in here just giving each other high fives and talking about the football game and actually got on fire for what God put on us to do, living in our purpose? What is it that you would do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? I'm up here as a testimony that he hasn't failed. He can do it again. And if you think you're too far gone and too washed up or too old or too young, I wouldn't count God out. He can do anything with anybody, anytime. So why don't you take your first step today? Remember, God's voice will rarely call you just to think about something. So the, the last thing that God wants is for you to sit there in your row and just hem and haw and think about it and rationalize it anymore. What about if we got up and moved and did something? We got folks at the back who are ready to pray with you, who are ready to put your dreams to action, who are ready to come alongside of you and stoke those fires, those embers once again and get you going. I'm gonna ask you during this last song, if God's pricking on your heart, remember that's conviction, not guilt. But if this conviction moment is stirring in your heart, get up and move, do something about it. Go to the back, receive prayer. Let's put some action to this idea that God's put in your life. I'm just one man, I can't do it alone. And I'm gonna do my best to keep listening and responding and living a life of faith, but I need an army of soldiers with me who are willing to do the same. I need an army of men, of husbands and dads who are willing to do the same. Put your neck out there for the Lord. Quit sitting on the sidelines and get some skin in the game. And watch what God will do. More walls are coming down. More seas are going to be split. More boats are going to be built. And churches too. God, we love you. Do your work. Have your way in this room this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When reflecting on my personal life, like how Jim was talking about,